This is the Sneaky Plays Podcast, presented by JuggerMag.com, the home of the underdog. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Sneaky Plays Podcast. I'm Brian Gatino here with Joe Duffy. We're about 20 games into the MLB season, nearing that 20-game mark. Um, it's still early April, but Joe and I are here to talk a lot of stuff that's going on in baseball. What's going on, Joe? Not much, man. It's still early April, but when the Phillies put up a 10 spot on the Mets, it's, it still feels good. So, you know, we'll take it. Absolutely. I feel like the NL East uh, has just been rolling uh, to start the season. Um, four, four solid teams right now that are going and going strong. Um, let's talk about a, a kid slash, a, you know, a man from one of those teams who recently got signed um, by the Braves, extended uh, extended his contract, Ozzie Albies. Um, what do you think about his contract? Give, give us some of the numbers and maybe some of the reasons why he took it. Uh, I, I have no reasons why he took it, dude. I think Ozzie Albies was hoodwinked. He was, he was bamboozled, as Stephen A. Smith would say. I just... To me, like, I don't see any value in the contract. I get security for a young player, but, I mean, I don't – what do you think? Like, to me, I understand the idea in financial security, but there are so many reasons behind this contract for me to, you know, think the other way and to wait out till free agency because despite getting some security, you're potentially losing out. I mean, I'll get to it in a little bit, but – the amount of money he might lose out on is like, it's incredible. Yeah. So that, I mean, like, I think he basically, you know, took this contract for financial security. Um, a lot of the, uh, you know, I've read up on a couple of things that players from, you know, Spanish speaking countries or whatever, and they, they don't come, they don't come up with a lot of money. They'll, they'll take the money that's thrown at them and ha- and be secure for their family and their, and their, you know, their family's future. And I feel like that played into it a lot, but I feel like the Braves just straight up lowballed him to begin with, and he thought this might be the best I can do, and he was afraid that he won't make it to a big payday in case he got hurt or something, so he took this guaranteed money. Which, yeah, in which the idea that the this is the best I might be able to do idea is the most ridiculous, because if he, he had arbitration eligible years, if he went to arbitration, he would have made more money through arbitration than he would on any year out of this deal he just signed. So, you know, I get he had five years of control left, and over five years a lot can happen. But if he didn't sign that and waited it out, he would have made more money through the rest of his five-year contract than he would have, you know, signing the extension. So, to me, that's a huge alarm off the bat, you know? Absolutely. I mean, he's he's making bench player money right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, he hit 261 last year, 24 home runs. He's 22 years old. He had a higher war than Nelson Cruz. I mean, like, Fangraphs values Ozzy Albies for the, over the next nine years. His value is at 200, projected $280 million. That's his projected value over the next nine years, according to Fangraphs. He signed a seven-year extension worth $35 million. He's giving up four years of free agency in his prime. It's just mind-boggling that someone would allow him to sign that deal. Like, whoever his agent is, 
they, he needs to have, be sat down and have a talking to because he just lost this kid out on what would have been easily over a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah, I was about to say, do you blame this on the agent, the Braves, or Albies right now? Um, I mean, you can't you, ha, you can't blame the Braves. This is a business. I mean, and look here here's the other thing too. The Braves are twenty first in payroll. Like it's not like they're scra- like they're tight on money. You know what I mean? Like they could have if Albies was just like, hey man, um, you this is ridiculous. The Braves would have come back with more money. You know what I mean? That's yeah. I'm I'm sure that was the Braves' first offer out there because to think that he was going to sign that contract. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what planet we'd be on to think he'd sign that. I mean, I know below market extensions were eventually going to come. It was inevitable, but this is just disgraceful. I mean, Jed, Jer- Jed Jericho is making more money than him this year, dude. Yeah, I was about to say, to put it in perspective, the Rays, who don't sign anybody, signed both Blake Snell and Brandon Lau to a contract that's that's bigger than Ozzy Albies right now. Yeah, I mean, look, we're talking about an all-star player that's – he's just going to be – I mean, he's going to be locked up till his age 30 season, and he's going to be criminally underpaid for that seven-year stretch. And that, honestly, it's a shame. Yeah, and it's not like he's going to be – better at 30 than he is now probably not the numbers say anyway so he might not he might be getting a similar contract back to back if anything right um you know and that's the thing like exactly um you know you can secure your future and you can lock up that 35 mil and make sure you get it and you know take away any injury ideas or anything like that that may uh, affect your future but I don't know. I think you would want to brighten your financial future more. Like, I think that is security in its own right. Don't you think? Like, Yeah. I feel like he should have invested in himself, really. Exactly. Like, rather than I can I couldn't agree more. And like, if you just compare it to his teammate, what Ronald Acuna got, like, I'm Acuna a better player than Albies. We know the pedigree he has, but it shouldn't have been far off from that deal, especially with the position Albies plays on the field. Excellent glove, already a 20-plus home run hitter. Like, I, I just don't understand it, man. Yeah, I, I don't either. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, a more positive topic before we uh, we keep going negative. Yeah, um, for, for real. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Bellinger and Yelich and what they're doing at the dish right now. Bellinger is brushing off the sophomore slump. Um, that's the kid we saw in 2017 when he first came out, man. Um, and it seems like to me, it looks like that's he's back permanently. Like that swing's looking beautiful again. Not that it ever, it was ever that far off, but I mean, he's making, he's spraying the ball all over the field. It's not just power numbers. He's locked in. He's hitting for average. He's hitting for power. He's moving runners over. He's doing whatever he has to do. So uh, Bellinger's been a stud. Yeah, absolutely. He's hitting uh, 433 right now with, with nine homers and 23 uh, runs batted in. And uh, on April 16th, those are some pretty damn good numbers. Yeah, and he scored 22 runs already. Um, I think 60-plus total bases already. Uh, he's playing out of his mind, dude. And last time we talked, um, you know, I said I thought he was going to slow down. I- I've completely changed my tune. I know he got hit by a pitch last night, and in the knee and it looked pretty nasty. So I don't know uh, what's going to come of that, 
but uh, yeah, he's he's locked in at the plate right now, man. He's in one of those zones where he's just the the ball's coming in like a beach ball to him. Yeah, absolutely. I hope he stays hot. Um, I think we kind of were, were in agreement that his numbers wouldn't you know stay like they are, but I think he'll have very good numbers come come September, and we'll be talking about him in the MVP race um, along with this guy Christian Yelich, who is just on an absolute different level uh, right now than pretty much everyone else in the game. Yeah, dude, I think um, I think we got to start talking about him in the same breath as Trout and Betts. What do you think? Uh, I would have to agree. Because, like, this is the second half of last year won him the MVP, and it was, like, a, it was a ridiculous stretch. And you thought it had to slow down, but, you know, come into this year and – it's, he's just picked up right where he left off. The dude's just – he's been on fire and hitting for power too, which is scary. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it was two nights ago he said that he wasn't uh, hitting as well as he could, took extra reps in BP yesterday morning, and then had yeah. that three-home run game. Yeah, imagine imagine saying he wasn't hitting that well, like being him saying that. Come on, dude. Well, that, I know you're. I know you're humble. I I love the. I love being humble. But come on, bro. You're hitting three fifty four, twenty two RBIs already. Reigning MVP. You're hitting just fine, bro. I mean, but just think about just just how good this kid can can really be. No, I know, and that, that's that's the work ethic too, which is the attitude. You love to see that, and to think, dude, this is he could be stuck playing in Miami still. Oh, I know. Which would just be a damn shame. He. He got traded for Lewis Brinson, Jordan Yamamoto, and Monte Harrison. That's what the Marlins got in return. That is <laughs> for we're looking at one of the three best players in baseball right now. That's what they got. Their ownership before they came out and they said, We're not like Jeffrey Lurie. We're Luria. We're gonna make we're gonna make all the good moves and all the fans are going, Yeah, you're not Jeffrey Luria. You're drastically worse. You're calling Jeter a dope, they can't stand it. It's, the Brewers owe the Miami Marlins organization a million thank yous over and over because Yelich is theirs now, and that guy's – he's unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. And the money they're paying him right now, uh, I think he's – I believe he's on contract through 2021 into the 2022 season. Um, he If he's going to hit that uh, year and uh, get a huge payday. Um, anyway, his numbers right now, he's hitting 354 with eight home runs and 22 RBIs. Um there's another guy that I really want to talk about that I feel is just the most underrated player in baseball in general. You probably have an idea who it is. Uh, Anthony Rendon. Yeah, he – so what he's doing right now, dude, is he's essentially just become Br- Bryce Harper in that order and not in the sense of, um, you know, what he does as a hitter in particular, like not being – not that he's just that big home run threat, but he's – the intimidating factor in the middle of that order pitchers have to, you have to throw around him. You can't give him a strike and he's showing everyone. If you give him a strike, he's going to make you, he's going to make you pay. The guy's been unbelievable. And because of it, look what Soto's doing behind him. Oh, I know he's, he's just making, he makes the Nats just a much better team. He, I think like every time I watch them play, I'm like, and every, every one of his at bats, I'm thinking Rendon's going to get on base. Redone's going to get on base. He's going to hit a double or he's going to hit a home run. Like, there's never a doubt in my mind that he's going to hit the ball hard somewhere. Um, and right now he's hitting 400 with six RBI, with six home runs and 17 RBIs, excuse me. 
And I mean, those are insane numbers and he needs to be in a freaking all-star game this year or else I'm going to, you know, boycott the MLB. <laughs> yeah. He's been, uh, I don't want to say disrespected, but he's definitely been overlooked for a while now. And it's because of the Bryce Harper shadow. That's what happens when you have a star like that, uh, on your team. So Rendon's definitely been overlooked, but, uh, He's definitely not being overlooked anymore. Everyone in the NL East is finding out real quick that that dude's uh, he's as good as Bryce Harper in that three spot for the Nats. Absolutely. And it's tough being in a league with Nolan Arenado, Chris Bryant, and then now uh, he has Manny Machado to compete with too. So right. it's, you know, it, it could end up being another popularity contest for your all-star game and he could, could end up missing out. Uh, yeah. Three B is loaded in the NL. My goodness. Yup. It'd be a, it'd be a shame if uh, he didn't make it. And here I am thinking Mike Calfranco might be sneaking him in an all-star game. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe in 2026 when the <laughs> all-star game gets out there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, all right. So, um, I guess back. I guess we're going backwards to a little negative topic, um, which I just mentioned: Chris, Chris Bryant, and Nolan Arenado. Uh, Rockets, right. Rockets, and Cubs. <laughs> Rockets yeah. and Cubs. How important is it to finish April at five hundred right now for these teams? Um, I mean, I think it's incredibly. I, I don't. I don't know that necessarily five hundred is what matters. I think what matters is they have to pay attention to. Every everyone that's ahead of them right now. I mean, it's not a matter of getting to a certain number. It's a matter of passing teams at this point, because when we're talking about the National League, we're talking about a legitimate 11, 12 teams that are contending. It's not the American League where we're looking at five distinct playoff teams, maybe a sixth with the Mariners sneaking up there and hanging around. But the National League is just too packed to fall all the way back in the standings early. And in particular, the Cubs in their division with three teams that are really good, all have playoff pedigree, playoff pitching. I mean, they're finding themselves in trouble, man. This isn't a good situation to be in, even though we're in April. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cubs need to figure out something more quickly than the Rockies, uh, just in my opinion, just because I think the Central is a little bit more tougher. Um, I think the Rockies are going to find their way without having to make big moves or anything like that. But I think the Cubs need to, like, take this seriously and somehow find a way to maybe get a player from from somewhere. And they need to up their roster, and they need to get better, like, quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's not going to get easier for the Cubs either, schedule-wise, or, or the Rockies, really. I mean, look, the Rockies are going to be able to win games in their division when they play the Giants and the Diamondbacks. They're going to be able to get wins back and hang in the wild card. So I, I completely agree with you. It's going to be a much more difficult climb for the Cubs. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to take making a move. I don't know if the, you know, the pitching is just John Lester's been there forever. Darvish seems to be a little bit over the hill. Hendricks hasn't been good to start the season. So I, I don't know if it's a pitching issue, if it's, if it's more of a whole team thing here or what, but yes, yeah, so they got to figure it out quick, man, because like we said, there's just too many teams that are going to be contending to fall all the way back early. Yeah, I think the Cubs are a team that they, they kind of stood still in the offseason, and that's not what they should have done. I mean, I feel like they they should have seen what was happening within the rest of their division, everyone else getting amped up, and they could just kind of stayed the same. They, they're starting to plateau, and you can see it evidently in, in all of their games. Like, they're not that 
that juggernaut that they were a couple seasons ago. They're just right now they're just looking like a middle of the pack team, a team with just not a lot of firepower or as much as they used to have anyway. It's it's kind of stale, right? Like to me when I wa- when we watched the Cubs in what 2015 when they won the World Series or 16 whatever year it was, the year they won, like it just looked like they had so much fun playing baseball. And I it just doesn't look that way anymore. Um you know, obviously that's from the outside looking in and it's just, you know, little observations here and there. But to me, it's they're not loose playing the game. They're not having fun. That same team camaraderie doesn't seem to be there. So, yeah, I don't know, man. They got to They got to figure it out and turn it around, though. I'd say, you know, you got to like mid-May before it really gets out of reach. Yeah, I mean, I was I was listening to uh, someone on MLB Network earlier in the day. Um they were saying they were questioning if the Cubs should be sellers this year. I mean, if you're at that point, that that cannot be good. I I don't think that's a bad question to be asked either. Because let's be honest, I mean, there's some age on that team too. It's like obviously the core with Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, those are that's your young core, and you still have that intact. But when it comes to the pitching, um, there's just some older guys on the roster that you might want to move. You not necessarily want to move off of but be better off moving off of at this point yeah that's very true it would just stink because of what they did a few seasons ago to to get to where they are and then just kind of not make any sort of jump forward um after a slight decline from last year so i don't know we'll we'll see where they are in in a couple weeks and uh, be able to make a better judgment by then and you know like you said in middle of april we'll know where everyone really is um but let's move on to uh, another, a bright spot. I feel like we're going back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> but a bright spot, uh, last night, Clayton Kershaw returned, um, had a very good outing, um, seven innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs. Um, what do you think about his outing last night? I think I knew that Puig was going to hit that bomb. And yeah, you knew he was going to pimp it, too, in Dodger Stadium. But aside from that, I thought that – Kershaw, that that was about as promising as a start as, that you could have gotten out of him after the layoff like that. Um, and look, man, if if we're talking about Clayton Kershaw in that Dodgers rotation and not the guy that was, you know, halfway there last year, if we're talking he's back, the Dodgers are far and away the front runner in the NL. Yeah, I would have to agree. I would have to say they're the front runner in all of baseball. If if Clayton Kershaw is is himself this year as well as Walker Bueller, um, that might be one of the best one-two punches you can possibly have in all baseball. Yeah, that's if it's if it's not better than Degrom Syndergaard, it's right there, you know, or Kluber, uh, Bauer, Carrasco, whatever you want to one-two you want to put together. But um, yeah, dude, I I just um. Jesus Christ, Tino, I lost my train of thought. That's all right. Well, anyway, <laughs> he – I was – for some reason, I was unable to add him uh, from off the IL on my fantasy team. I'm very pissed about it. Oh, um, yeah, that ha- yeah, that was yesterday. Um, <laughs> what did you end up doing about that? Uh, he just sat on my IL for the rest of the night. Nah, no spot start? Nope. It, he couldn't come off of it. It was ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, yeah, if, if Clayton Kershaw is, is going to be, you know, throwing, throwing seven innings – Every single outing, the Dodgers are going to be just fine. Um, not that they already weren't, but, I mean, they're going to be, you know, again, possibly back in the World Series, uh, which would be an incredible feat in itself. 
hopefully they get over that hump and uh, take it home. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it's weird. Um, This might be the scariest they've been. You know, obviously they've been the back-to-back World Series loss. They've been really good. But moving off Puig and Kemp, getting some youth in the outfield, now getting Kershaw back with Bueller in that rotation – um, they have depth in that rotation. Like, I think this is the scariest the Dodgers have been in throughout this entire run they've been on with Dave Roberts. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, like you said, they added a couple, couple of bats, a couple, they had a couple arms too in the back end. So, I mean, they're looking good. Let's move on to another, uh, NL West team, the Padres. They're playing pretty well. Um, which actually is kind of moving them towards possibly making another move. Uh, what do you think that move would be? So, yeah, so there was talks this week about Dallas Keuchel. Now, apparently Keuchel is willing to take a one-year deal if the money's right. Um, I guess he'd want somewhere over 15, a little bit over $15 million for that one-year deal. Um, willing to take, you know, willing to bet on himself, really, and come out and try to prove he could still pitch, which, I mean, I think he can, and I think he knows he can in a gigantic ballpark like San Diego. So that report kind of makes sense to me. Look, the Padres are at the top of that division right now. Obviously, it's early, but the way they're playing, they probably feel like they can contend or at least hang around till the end of the year. And even if Keuchel's only brought in for a year, and even if you don't make it, at least you're putting a product on the field. You're showing your fans you're going for it. So I I, I would like the move for the Padres. I think it makes sense. I you know, I'm happy the report came out and it looks like we're kind of moving forward to him getting signed because there's no reason he should still be sitting on the sidelines. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think? Do you think to me, San Diego fits, but I don't know if that's just cause I like the ballpark. What do you think? Uh, I'm kind of with you. Um, I think it fits solely because like you said, they, they're definitely in a spot for contention this season. Um, especially with the Rockies' woes to start the year. And then, you know, the Diamondbacks and Giants really aren't going to be there at the end. Um, you know, if you, you can get up close to 88 games, 88 wins, I think they got a shot. I think Keiko puts them over a little bit of a hump. He's obviously not going to make them the best team in baseball, but he's going to make them better for sure. So I, I think if Keiko's willing to take a one-year deal, I think he needs to be realistic and uh, maybe take 12 or 10 um, – I mean, there's players out there that, you know, are deserving of bigger contracts than what he wants, and he's not going to get it. So um, I feel like I feel like Keuchel to the Padres is definitely a possibility, and it's definitely something I would actually be, like, excited for for the game. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, no, Paddock is going to be on uh, an inning restriction, at least you would think, um, and so are some of these other young pitchers. So – Look, they're going to need arms at the end of September, and if they get into October, they're going to have to run deep. So whether it's going to have to come by trade or it's going to have to come by going out and getting someone who's available, and look, Keuchel's available. The Padres have money to spend. So I, I, I think it's a marriage that, you know, match made in heaven almost. Well, yeah, and we've seen, we've, we've seen them, the Padres add veteran bats to help the, you know, the clubhouse, I think adding a veteran starting pitcher would also help right. the clubhouse in general. So, and help that rotation guide its way into a possible postseason. And Keuchel has had experience in the postseason. So that would be huge for them, uh, you know, this season. 
Um, I mean, I, I just want to see Keuchel pitch. And I also want to see this, this guy, Kimbrell, pitch. Um, we'll move on to the Brewers with Jeffress struggling and, you know, his rehab appearances. Corey Knebel out. Um, what do you think about Kimbrell to the Brewers? Uh, what do you think is going on with that? Um, that's what I thought was going to be the move. Um, you know, I thought that would really just be a matter of time until Kimbrell came down on what he was looking for and the Brewers kind of met him. Um, but, you know, we still haven't seen it. I still think it's a perfect fit. But the report is now that Kimbrell is willing to come down and accept an offer like the Britain or Wade Davis offer. And if that's the case, every single team in baseball that's in contention should be looking to sign him. So the Brewers, while I thought they were a perfect fit before, they might, they might, they're going to have to move fast because other teams are going to hop in on that. Yeah. If, if Kimbrell only wants three for 39 um, or something like that, like, I mean, that's a bargain. Like someone's got to go after him like tomorrow. Um, I mean, it's getting, I mean, like we've been saying it's, it's April, it's April, it's April, but every single game matters. Um, And a lot of bullpens are failing their teams right now, especially the nationals. Uh, The Braves have had some bullpen woes. The Cubs have had bullpen woes, you know, as well as the Brewers. Like, you know, if you want to up your bullpen, it's going to take Kimbrell a couple weeks, or if you want to up your starting pitching, it's going to take a few weeks to get there with Keuchel and Kimbrell. So, like, these teams need to start moving quickly. Yeah, I mean, we've – look, it's taken – Aaron Nola is still not in a groove. He's got four starts. Chris Sale's still finding it. Like, we've got guys who are coming out of spring training who are still yet to find their groove. Now you're going to ask Craig Kimbrell to come out in the ninth inning after, like, getting three live bullpen sessions in and, you know, expect him to shut down the Astros? Like, come on. We – you got to do this early and you got to get the time – you got to give the guy time to get ready to hop on. You can't just throw him out there – after, you know, what, a six- to eight-month layoff or whatever it is? Yeah, exactly. Uh, re, you know, bullpens and rehab games or whatever, it's not the same as a real real game. It's going to take them, like, four or five save opportunities, possibly, to be locked in. Um, and those could be games that you need to be won, and they could end up being lost because he's not prepared um, for your team. And like like we're saying, this got to happen – within this next week or so, if, if they want them to be, you know, ready to go for contention uh, for the season. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, this uh, being a pitcher yourself, bullpen coming out of the bullpen, a lot of it's just routine, man. You, you have, you have your set time, how long you need, it takes you to warm up for that game, how long you're going to have on the mound before you get going. Like, to to get back into that routine, find your rhythm. It takes time. So yeah, they're. Uh, I'm happy that that report came out again for both of them. It looks like we're coming close. Um, you know, hopefully for Kimbrel, I think we'll see. I think we're looking at a week or two for Kimbrel. It might be a little bit longer for Keiko, but I think Kimbrel will uh, get signed pretty soon. Yeah, I was just about to ask you who do you thinks first, but I'm I'm I would have to agree with you. I think it's going to be Kimbrel first. Uh, spent a lot more bullpen. Uh, you know, travesties than, than uh, starting pitching travesties so far this season. But obviously that could change very quickly. Which is which is funny because the game's been shifting to the bullpen away from starting pitching. But, you know, 
what do I know, I guess? Yeah, right. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, another veteran that could possibly be on the move, um, Mad Bum. I know, I know the, the Giants are possibly going to want to move him this season um, by the deadline. Could end up being sooner. Uh, what do you think about his potential landing spots? Could it be Philadelphia? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it looks like the Phillies are interested. Uh, Morosi said on Fox a few nights back that the Giants were going to be willing to shop Mad Bum and that the Phillies had already been doing their due diligence on him. And if that's the case, look, I, I had said to you before the season started when we did our first podcast that I think Madison Baumgartner would be a Philly by the deadline. I think it might get done earlier now. Um, the way Aaron Nola is pitching, I don't know that the Phillies want to wait for him to come around, not knowing how long it's going to take for him to figure it out. Um, not that the starting pitching has been bad, but Pavetta and Velasquez have been okay. Um, you know, Velasquez has been better than Pavetta, but the point is there's a spot for Madison Baumgartner in that rotation. And I think the sooner the Phillies could get him in there, the better for them. So, I, uh, you know, I'm not expecting this to happen in the next couple days or even next week or month. But, you know, by by June, Madison Bumgardner, Philadelphia, I think that's about a lock right now. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think it, it doesn't hurt having a guy like Mad Bum. So I think the Phillies should pretty much do what they can in order to, to possibly land him. Um, Here, so yeah, what do you what do you think it would take to get Madison Bumgarner? Uh, on he's a free agent at the end of the year, not the same guy. That granted, he's still a good pitcher, but not the same guy we saw in the World Series against the Royals. I think it would possibly take a very good AAA arm and a very good AAA bat. Yeah, I think I think you're probably on there. I think it would probably take. You know, the Phillies might be willing to move off Adonis Medina. They might be even willing. See, I think the Phillies might be willing to kind of straight up move Mad Bum for an arm like Pavetta or Velasquez. I I think they'd be more reluctant to move off Velasquez than Pavetta. But they just have – there's so many arms that they can do stuff with. So, I think definitely a pitcher. And then I think they're probably going to want an MLB bat, whether that's Nick Williams or – uh, Aaron Altair, Roman Quinn. I think that's kind of a chance for the Giants to upgrade their outfield too in return, which is something obviously they went and got Pilar, so it's something they'd be interested in. Yeah, I think a right a right-handed bat for sure. Um, that, that lineup's still loaded with lefties, even with the addition to Pilar. So, um, I mean, I think I think the Phillies would definitely be up to it. Um, just you know, watching them play and whatnot. Like you said, their their starting pitching hasn't been been bad but there's certainly room for improvement there um if you want to compete in a, in a freaking brutal nl east this year yeah man and everyone's hitting in the nl east everybody's hitting absolutely um i was watching philly's mets last night and you know it's april 15th and both mets fans and Phillies fans are yelling back and forth at each other at like 10 o'clock at night on a yeah month, man, you know. it's great extra innings in the cold Yep. screaming, getting angry. You love it. NL East baseball's back. There's nothing better. Absolutely. The AL and NL East, it's just when those two divisions are popping, that's when baseball's at its best. I, I agree 100%. Um, let's move on to an AL East uh, prospect in uh, Vladimir Jr. 
Um, right now in three games at AAA, uh, Buffalo, after his, uh, his injury to his groin, I believe, he's uh, five for 10 with five RBIs. Um, what are you expecting the Blue Jays to do with Vlad Jr.? Do you think he's going to be up with a big club very shortly? The the word on the street is soon, and it has to be soon because if you look around the rest of baseball, look at all these young kids that are making an impact early. The The longer the Blue Jays wait to bring him up, the more stupid they look to their fan base. And look, I, I completely understand the idea. The whole MLB service uh, time manipulation, it just has to stop. We got to... If the kids are ready to play, let them play baseball, man. And Vlad's beyond ready to play at the MLB level. So it's going to happen soon, hopefully. Like Kimbrell and Keiko, hopefully it happens in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I think the Blue Jays would be stupid not to bring him up as soon as he's possibly ready. Um, put more fans in those seats in Toronto. Get get those fans excited for what's going to come in 2020, 2021. Um, I mean, you know, the ALS is going to start – the AL East, rather, you know, est, whatever. <laughs> AL East is going to start having a little bit more parity if the Blue Jays and and, Ray, and you know Rays can amp up a little bit um, and ma- start making this a four-team race as opposed to just a you know a three or a two, word, which is uh, what it was a couple of seasons ago. So, I think I think the Blue Jays need to move on this quickly, um, which leads us to like you just mentioned a couple other young players: uh, Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Pete Alonso. What do you think about these guys coming up right now and how good they are? And will more players get called up uh, as a as a cause of it? Yeah, I think this is the beginning of the end for taking advantage of that service time at the uh, on a player's entry level contract. Uh, Eloy, Tatis, Pete Alonzo, all these guys came up right at the start of the season and they're smacking the ball and they're proving that you know, they're, they're not just here to get some hacks in and get better. They're here to play Major League Baseball. They're ready to go. And considering a guy like Vlad is ranked, you know, he was ranked the top prospect out of all those guys, and he's the one that's not up. It's just kind of, I, I, I don't know, that that one's just still mind-blowing to me that he's, he wasn't up to start the season. Injury or not, he should have been on the roster. But, you know, I'll digress and go back. We just – we need to get over this idea that guys need time in the minors or that we should be, uh, you know, using that service time clause to get an extra year of control over a player. If the kid could play, just let him play. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, Eloy Jimenez and Tatis and Alonso, they're proving to everyone that they're, they're here to stay and they're, you know, they're ready to, to go against the big boys and they've been, they've probably been ready for quite, quite some time. And they've just been, you know, been held off for, you know, a couple of years. Um, I mean, Tatis made that electric play at shortstop the other night. And Pete Alonso's hitting balls 118 miles an hour. <laughs> Eloy, Eloy Jimenez is hitting grand slams against the Yankees. Um, or I think it was a couple home runs, whatever. Regardless. Two in a I game, mean, right? Yeah, two in a game against the Yankees. Re- regardless, these, these kids are ready to play. And I think that's what baseball fans want. Like, I don't know about you, but I want a bunch of 20 – two to 25 year olds playing as opposed to 30 to 35 year olds. Yeah. I I just want the best product possible on the field. I don't, if that means Julio Franco's coming out of retirement at 72 years old to play first base for the Braves, as long as he's the best, that's what I want to see. So 
to me, it's it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter if they've paid their dues or not, which is another old school baseball thing of guys getting look. I understand there's an there's a difference in timing when you when you get to different levels of the game, but the fact of the matter is when these guys get here, they're ready. I mean, these top top high end guys are proving that they're ready. And look, let's face the facts: Eloy Jimenez, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, these guys all just signed extensions before they ever even got the free agency. So it's not like even if you lose that one year of control over Vlad that he wouldn't sign an extension or be at least be open to the conversation. So, yeah, I think it's going to happen more often than it needs to. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully Vlad's up within this next week so we don't have to complain about it next week. Yeah, I'm hoping he's got like, you know, seven home runs by the next time we talk. All right, moving on to uh, another team, I guess, or teams in the AL East, the rest of the gang. Um, Yanks, Sox, Rays. Can the Rays take advantage of the Yanks and Sox early season woes? Um, the Rays have not lost the series all season. Uh, right now they're up 4-2 in the top of the ninth against the Orioles. About to take this game. Um, I mean, the Rays are incredible right now. What do you think it's going to take for them to stay on top of the AL East right now? I think that good like high end starting pitching like the Rays have is a sustainable route to success for the entirety of the season. So if they're going to continue to get good starting pitching, they're going to continue to win baseball games. And for the Yankees and Red Sox, that's not good news because guess what? You've dug yourselves a hole and now you got to get out of it and you're playing. Look, obviously they're going to feast off the bottom of the division but they're still going to have a tough time at the top and they're going to be splitting games up. So the Rays have put themselves in prime position here, man. I I'm liking their chances more and more every day to win this division outright. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think they're a, a serious contender to win this division. Um, to me, the stat, the stat that jumps off the page is run differential right now. Their run differential is plus 38 and they're about to have a 13 and four record right now. The Yanks are plus 10, to put that in perspective, and they're 6-9. and nine. The Sox are minus 32. Yikes. So a full, I guess, 66. My math's pretty probably off. <laughs> but, you know, over 60 run difference, um, close to 60 run difference between the Rays and the Red Sox right now. And that is a huge gap. Um, I mean, the Rays, like you're saying, their pitching is just absolutely dominant so far. And uh, that's not going to slow down. Um, their bats, might, their bats may slow down. I'll, I'll give you that. But I really don't think their pitch is going to slow down. And they're a team that's willing to go dig into AAA, grab guys up for a couple weeks, bring them back down, bring them back up. Like they're they're players that need to be replaced are there are equal between their AAA and and their big club. So if someone gets injured, they're willing to go down in AAA, bring a guy up, and nothing really has changed. So, I mean, that's a team that, like, I would be scared of to play each and every week, each and every series. Yeah, it's a team that you, as a fan, you'd love to get behind a team that's made up like them because it's not the big-name players. It's not the it's not the Bryce Harpers, the Manny Machados, the big, flashy names. What it is is it's just a really well-put-together team. Everyone complements each other well. The pitching staff complements the bullpen. 
you know, the, the leadoff hitter in the lineup is complimenting the guy behind him. The three's complimenting the four. It's just a really well-put-together team, and it makes for a fun brand of baseball, and it makes for a winning brand of baseball. And, you know, they're, they're proving still that in 2019, small market teams, they're, they're still here to hang around and uh, to give the big boys some trouble. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, so to me, I think the Rays are winning more than 90 games, and I think they have a legitimate shot to win the AL East and be up there as one of the best teams in baseball for the year. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I also think at this point with the pitching they have when we're talking about October baseball, I don't don't think it's ridiculous to start talking about them as a legit threat to to win the AL pennant, period. that's how good I think they are, man. Uh, it took me a little while to come around on them. You know, at the beginning of last year, I was the first person to say I thought they were going to be atrocious, and I had to eat my words. And I've completely come around on them, man. They That team's won me over in a big way. Yeah, doesn't this somewhat remind you of a little 2008 season? Philly's playing well, Ray's playing well. Yeah, and kind of, kind of similar – teams right like not that the Phillies had Bryce Harper but Ryan Howard was a big name at the time Chase Utley big name big personality Jimmy Rollins you know they they had a lot of big name players on that 208 team and then the Rays were the team that was built from scratch really so it, it, like you just pretty similar situation for sure but uh I really hope you didn't just jinx both of us yeah I, I sure hope not but like you did mention though I think even last year, if the Rays were to make the playoffs, like somehow scratch enough wins at the end of September and catch the A's, I think they would have been like a legitimate threat in the playoffs just because on, on the, their depth of pitching. Um, and I think this year, when or if, you know, if or when they make the playoffs, like they're again, they're going to be a threat. They, get, they have like 15 guys that can throw. So, um, I mean, you know, a real contender for sure. Um, let's move on to our, our final topic. Um, another surprising couple teams, the Mariners and the Reds, the Mariners right now are 13 and six. The Reds are five and 10. Um, you, you kind of brought this up earlier this morning. What's the difference between these two teams and what, what they have done to get to where they are? Yeah. So this is hilarious because the Mariners, when, we were when the winter meetings were going on and we saw everything that was happening, it almost looked like the Mariners were trying to tank, right? Like <laughs> Nelson Cruz, see ya, Cano, see ya, Edwin Diaz, see ya, James Paxson, see ya. They cleaned house. It it looked like they were trying to tank. You know, they they got Carlos Santana from Philly, immediately flipped him back to Cleveland. So you thought they were trying to tank and then the Reds went all in. They they brought Puig over, Kemp over uh, Tanner Roark got, got brought in. So the Reds were, you know, spending money to win baseball games. And, you know, the Mariners were getting rid of big name uh, all-star players with big contracts really to to just get more depth and youth and flexibility and financial relief. Yet here we are, the team that is looking for financial relief versus the team that spent a bunch of money to win. The te- the team that got rid of the big money players is the one that's winning. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely like you said it's hilarious. It's definitely funny to see how these two teams are so vastly different. 
Um, like you said, the Reds, the Reds kind of went all in. I mean, they thought they were going to be able to compete in the NL Central this year. Um, I don't think they're they're going to. Um, I just think it's too powerful in the Central. But I do think the Mariners, you know, at thirteen and six, like I do think they have legitimate shot at the playoffs. Um, I do think their runs will slow down a little bit, but I mean, the Angels really aren't going to be a huge threat to them. I'm I'm not sure the A's are. Um, and I don't think they're going to end up beating out the Astros, but I do think they can, they can play baseball well probably through the end of August and, and at least be in the talks for, for a possible playoff spot. Yeah, when you, um, when you have the type of players they brought in, that kind of juice in a locker room, it's going to ca- that momentum's going to carry. It's not just going to die down. So I agree with you. I think they're, I think they'll compete. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that they'll be at the top of that wild card race, but I think they'll be competitive for the whole year for sure. But I mean, like we just talked about, this is just confirming that you don't need to back the Brinks truck up every off season and juice the payroll to win baseball games. If you just do your due diligence and, you, you put together the right pieces at the right price, you can still win games. And, you know, the Mariners, the Rays, the A's, they're, they're proving that can still be done in today's game, even though it kind of seems like we've kind of fallen off that path. Yeah, I think you're starting to see in today's game uh, just how important uh, chemistry is between players, you know. Like, how, how, is the, how is the locker room before and after the games? You know, are these guys hanging out with each other off the field and stuff? Like, that stuff really does matter. Um, you know, all these type of those small market teams, like they pick each other up, they do what's best for the team. No one's really making big time money. So it's not like one person thinks they're better than the other. They, they, they see themselves as equals and as, as teammates and they play well together. And I think that's what the Mariners are doing right now. Yeah, man. Camaraderie is a huge thing in, in any sport. And look, the, when you got a bunch of guys like the Mariners do who have kind of been either overlooked or were at one point in time looked at as a, a high-end prospect and kind of never really panned out, like this is a second chance for a lot of these guys to really prove prove themselves in the in the major leagues. And when you kind of get a group like that together, everyone with a chip on their shoulder, everyone with the same mindset – the chemistry is probably off the charts in that locker room, I would assume. And yeah, it's a great point to make. I mean, we've seen it with teams like the Rays, the A's almost every time they're good, we see it with their clubhouse and their locker room. So yeah, it's a great point to make right there. Yeah. Exhibit A's would be Malik Smith, Tim Beckham, Domingo Santana. Like these guys are boys. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're, they're trying to get things going. They're trying to compete. Um, You know, they're guys that play the game hard each and every day. So um, I think they're going to be fun to watch down the stretch, and uh, hopefully they stay w- within at least reach of that AL West um, and possible wild card spots uh, and make at least the AL a little bit more interesting this year than it was last year. Yeah, hey, I'd much. I'm cool with six contenders instead of five. You know, that the the more teams we could get involved, the better. Absolutely, it, that doesn't hurt. Um, so that concludes uh, all of our topics for this week's podcast. Um, I just want to remind you guys to visit jokermag.com, see what we've got going. Um, we have a piece out on Tiger Woods today. Obviously, he won the Masters. Congrats to Tiger Woods. That's a, it's an awesome story. Um, follow us on Twitter at PlaySneaky. Follow Joe at TakingThePrice and myself at B underscore Contino 23. 
and we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Sneaky Place podcast presented by Joggermag.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please smash that subscribe button and follow us on Twitter at PlaySneaky.